continuing to move through the Psalms. I don't know how much long. It could be that next Sunday will be the last Sunday that we deal with the Psalms. I don't know that, but it could be. I'm thinking right now of covering Psalm 40 next week. And if if that is the last Sunday, that at some point, probably in 2021, we'll we'll take up again and start working our way through again. Um, but today we land on Psalm 37. If you're, you want to turn in your Bibles or your tablets or your phones or your memories, um, we're going to we're going to read through this psalm in a minute. I've entitled it "Trust God and Feed on His Faithfulness," and we'll get that. Uh, and as of our singing this morning, I have subtitled it. And this is not going to be up there. Safe and secure from all alarms. Because that's where we need to be. Now, I want to just tell you up front uh, just a little bit of business is that Psalm 37 is what is called an acrostic psalm, which means that every, in this particular one, every two verses uh, begin with a successive letter from the Hebrew alphabet. I know that means nothing to a lot of people, but it's just something I thought I'd tell you. so every two verses would, if, if you were reading it in Hebrew, you would be going through the alphabet. Now it's not, it's not perfect. There is when you get down to the end of it, there's a couple of things that are not perfect, but generally speaking, uh, it's an acrostic psalm. And the reason I say that is because a lot of the psalms begin at verse one and they carry a theme all the way through to the end of the psalm. This one does not do that. As a matter of fact, this psalm is very similar to the Proverbs. Sometimes you read through the Proverbs and you don't really get a successive topic. You just get a bunch of really good, highly valuable sayings and lessons. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, it's interesting that verse 1, we'll read it in a moment, but verse 1 of Psalm 37 is uh, one word away from being completely identical to Proverbs 24, 19. And what's interesting about that is Proverbs twenty four nineteen was not written by David. And yet they're identical. So this this will feel like a proverb or a, or a book of a chapter of Proverbs. One of the things in the lessons that we want, by the way, let me just say it this way. This message has the, the, the uh, possibility of me making somebody mad. I could make you angry today. And if, if I, if, if I, if I do make you angry, you can just email me at I don't care at I don't care dot com. Because the older I get, the less I care. And the, and the less, I, the less governor I have. And so, uh, if you get mad, there's an eagle song I would point you to and you probably can figure out which one that is. This psalm is a reminder of how to respond to what David Horowitz calls the dark agenda. I would recommend to you the book, The Dark Agenda, uh, which is subtitled The War to Destroy Christian America. David Horowitz is, by his own testimony, an agnostic Jew, and yet he gives a great uh, summary of what's going on in our world. And I want to tell you, and we're going to cover it, that's not just a brand new thing right there. There's been a dark agenda from day one. But anyway, David Horowitz does a good job of, 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 of aligning that out. 
But we want to, we want to know in the day we live, how do we respond? What's going on with this dark agenda in our world? And what are we supposed to do? What's God going to do? And what are we going to do? And ultimately, I hope this psalm brings us to be able to rest. Everybody say rest. Everybody at home say rest. In his faithfulness. Rest in his faithfulness. So if you haven't turned already, if you want to turn to Psalm 37, it's a rather lengthy psalm. If you, if you don't feel like you can stand for 40 verses, I certainly understand. Uh, but if you can, if you stand with me while we read Psalm 37 in the English Standard Version, and uh, it goes like this, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. That could be the theme of this psalm, by the way. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now here, I'll pause right here. This is where we get our title. Trust in the Lord. Do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. The New King James there would say, feed on his faithfulness. As a matter of fact, if you have the English Standard Version, your note in the margins will say that as well. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place. He will not be there. By the way, I've said this before. Those of us who grew up in a pre-millennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib eschatology, we really need to reconsider what we believe. I was taught all my life in Sunday school that Jesus was coming and taking us out of here and leaving the wicked behind. But everything I read in the Bible says the wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the earth. I hate to mess up your eschatology, but you need to reconsider what you think about all that. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes its teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. You don't want the Lord laughing at you, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, 
He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is on his heart, and his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him, the righteous, to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more, though I sought him. He could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. You can be seated. Now, if you're already mad, I just read you the scripture. This, this psalm deals with what, what David uh, calls the wicked or the evildoers extensively. As a matter of fact, our first point or our first section, I've called the agenda of the wicked. There is an agenda out there today. And again, going back to David Horwitz's book, Dark Agenda. But before we get into that, there's a, there's a, an attitude and a posture that we must have. And that is this, and we must remind ourselves that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now I'm going to get you to say that with me, so go ahead, let's go. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now say it again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now that comes from Ephesians 6, 12, and of course it goes on to say we're wrestling against principalities and powers. I say that because we live in an hour when we read the news, we hear the news, we see things on social media, and we want to take somebody out behind the barn and explain things to them. And when I say we, I'm including me. Sometimes I would like to have 10 minutes alone with some of these people. And yet God reminds me that my struggle is not with those people. My struggle is with, is with principalities and powers. I don't wrestle with flesh and blood. And I know that we see people in the news and we read about people and we want, we want to pronounce all kinds of judgment on them. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need you to pronounce judgment on people. He does a good enough job himself. And we see that, and I'm reminded of a guy who spent his most of his life opposing the church to such a degree that he was bringing people and having them murdered for believing in Jesus Christ. And he was traveling on his way to see some of that happening when a light knocked him off of his 
animal. And obviously, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, who ultimately gave us two-thirds of our New Testament. And had he been living today, and had, well, if he was on Fox News and was doing the things that he formerly did, we'd be saying about him what you and I have been saying about fill in the blank. It could be him or it could be a her or it could be a they. But we'd be saying about that guy, hey, that's an evil guy. Yeah, he was evil. And the Lord knocked him off of his animal and saved him. Aren't you glad God does not need our permission to save somebody? (laughs) Uh, In 1973, when the Supreme Court decided they wanted to pretend to be the Congress, and they passed a law that allowed abortions to become legal called Roe versus Wade, and the lady Jane Roe, her, her real name was Norma McCorvey. And in 1973, I'm sure there were people that wanted to take her out behind the barn. Of course, there's a lot that we know now that we didn't know then. But one thing we do know is that, A, Norma McCorvey never did have an abortion. And, B, she met Jesus Christ and spent the rest of her life trying to reverse the wrong that was done then. What would have happened in 1973 if she's on Fox News? That would have been a miracle because there was no Fox News. And we saw that, we, I'm sure people saw Jane Roe. Boy, I'd like to, hmm. And yet God saved her. So when you see these people saying these things that makes me want to take them and explain things to them, we got to remember God is still in the redeeming business. Now, let me just say this. People in our age are given to wickedness. Wickedness does not occur in a vacuum. It occurs in people. And when you give yourself to that, you will become evil. You will become wicked. Luke 22, 3 says, And Satan entered the heart of Judas Iscariot. Satan entered his heart and thus... What followed was his betrayal of Jesus Christ. So there, people do wicked things. Some of us do bad things. Anyway, but what I want to talk about is this, is this agenda of the wicked, this agenda of that. And again, I don't want us focusing on people. I want us to focus on the agenda. Psalm 2 says this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Do you believe there there is a... An agenda today, do you believe that people today are raging against Jesus Christ, against the gospel, against the kingdom? People today are, are plotting the demise of the kingdom of God and the influence of the kingdom of God in the earth? Of course you do. All you got to do is look around. Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. There is, there's no question, there's an agenda today among a group of people and several groups of people and they are conspiring together against the Lord and his anointed one. And what they are, what are they saying? Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. 
I am not going to submit my life to Jesus as Lord because I'm going to be the Lord of my own life. I'm not going to allow the restraints that seemingly God wants to put on me. Of course, what they don't realize is you enjoy more freedom when you give yourself to the Lord Jesus and he is your Lord. You have far more freedom and far more contentment than if you're trying to well, gee, he said, if you find your life, you lose it. And if you lose it, you find it. What is What happens? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Uh, like I said, I really don't want God laughing at me. He ridicules them. So well, that's not very nice. Well, take it up with him. <laughs> then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. You don't believe God gets angry? He does. And this is what he says. I have consecrated my king on Zion, my holy mountain. He's saying to the rulers of this earth, you're coming against my son, who is my king, and he is the king of the kingdom. You're coming against him. Why does God laugh at them? Well, it's not just that he's ridiculing. It says that he is, but he he knows. He knows what's coming next. And we'll come back to that. Uh, Verse 12 teaches us of this psalm that the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. I've seen some despicable displays over the last few months and several months of people opposing people that are Christians or people that are of the kingdom. And some of them are gnashing their teeth because they're so frustrated and so angry that we would be so bold. To, to declare Jesus as the king of the universe. And God laughs at their futility. He laughs at their exercise in futility of opposing his son. Verse 32 teaches us the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. I don't know if that's so much physical death, although I'm sure there's some that would like to... Uh, I mean, I just heard a recording the other day of several people, and I, you know, this had nothing to do with D's and R's, but I heard a recording of several people, uh, public people, who expressed their desire to assassinate President Trump. Now, I don't care who's your president. That's supposed to be against the law. And anyway, there was somebody said, where's John Wilkes Booth when we need him? Now, I don't want, I don't want to try to connect the two. My point is, I think that when it talks about the wicked watching for the righteous and seeking to put him to death, I think mostly that's put to death the message and the influence of the gospel through gospel-centered people and kingdom-centered people. The, the agenda that floats around in our world today would seek to stop our message. They don't get our message And they don't like that we bring a message. Why? Jesus said this. Don't assume. You know what happens when you assume. I'm not going to tell you. You already know. (laughs) That I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. What in the world? I thought he was the prince of peace. Jesus came with a message. His message was one of righteousness. His personality it was is one of righteousness. And when Jesus came, there was an automatic division. 
There was an automatic division in culture. And when he spoke the word of God, there was an automatic separation between right and left or left and right. I'm not doing conservative, liberal, just handing. When he arrived, there was a righteousness that declared this is, this is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy. His very presence set that standard. By the way, you've heard me say this before, and I've actually written about it. This didn't just begin in 2020. It didn't just begin in the 20th century. It didn't just begin when David wrote Psalm 37. It's, it's been all along. But I will tell you this, and you've heard me talk about the spirit of Herod. Herod the king in the massacre of the innocents, in the, in the killing of children. Herod the king said, uh, let's have all the boys two years old and under killed. Why was that? He was trying to eliminate the influence of Jesus Christ. That spirit still remains today. It's still here today. Herod's dead, but the spirit is not. It's still among us. Watch these verses. Second Peter 2. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom. By the way, I've said that two or three times, haven't I? Billy Graham was writing a book. I forget the title. His wife was helping him with the book, and she said to, to him, and it wound up in the book, she said, Billy, if God doesn't judge America soon, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. That was probably 30 or 40 years ago. How much does it apply today? God rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. I want to say to us today that it's okay for us to be sick of the shameful immorality that surrounds us today. As long as we remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And yet we can't deny that in certain groups, in certain corners, that we hear things that just drive us crazy. It goes on to say, yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and he heard day after day. Now, these were people we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but these were people who were doing things and thinking things and saying things day after day. And Lot was tormented. How many of us are tormented when we pick up the newspaper? I know we don't pick up newspapers anymore. When we read the news and we're tormented and we read things. And boy, Rick and Bubba, the show out of Birmingham, they got a t-shirt and I own one. On the back of it, it says, common sense has now become a superpower. We have lost all common sense today. And it, it, we're tormented when we see that. Lot was tormented. Peter takes up the, the argument when he says there's already been enough time spent in doing what pagans choose to do. Carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. That's not pretty, saints. He said, there's already, there's plenty of that that's been happening. I would say that that is true in our day as well. 
Peter goes on to say, so they, the wicked, are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living and they slander you. Why do they slander you? Because you do not join in their carousing. You do not join in their lawlessness. They have given themselves to evil and you have chosen to not give yourself to evil. And therefore, they slander you. I'm not suggesting lawsuits. I'm just telling you they slander you. Not just you personally, but God's people. Are you mad yet? I'm going to keep working at it. Surprised. So if we're going to talk about the agenda of the wicked, well, let's talk a little bit about the destiny of the wicked. What's the destiny of the wicked? Verse 2 teaches us they're going to fade like the grass. Going to fade away. As I said earlier, God is very capable of judging. He's very capable of of dealing with people. Verse 9 teaches us they shall be cut off. You say cut off from what? Well, that's God's business. They'll be cut off. Verse 10 tells us they will have no impact because they will not be there. Verse 14 teaches us that they aim at the upright. They aim their target of words at God's people. There is an agenda to marginalize and eliminate the influence of the kingdom of God and the church in America today. I don't know how many examples I could cite of where the church of Jesus Christ has been alienated and, in my opinion, violated their rights. And then somebody over here, I mean, you you can have a big old protest in the streets, peaceful or not, and that's okay, but over here you can't have church together. Oh, no, everybody get COVID-19. I made you mad yet? I'm still working on it. He says they aim it to upright, but they're going to wind up shooting themselves. Verse 15 says they shoot in their own heart. They shoot the arrow, and it goes out there and makes a U-turn, comes back and shoots them in their own hearts. I pray, and don't get mad with me, I pray that when that arrow shoots their own hearts, that it brings conviction. I know we want to eliminate them. That's God's business. But I pray that there's conviction and repentance and salvation. Verse 20 teaches us, like smoke, they will vanish away. Let me just say this before I go to the next point. Did you notice what was missing from those, from the destiny of the wicked? You notice what was missing from all of those? Our involvement. There's not one of those proclamations that God makes that has anything to do with something that we would do. Again. I'm talking to me. I'm I'm glad y'all are here to listen to me, preach to me, and I hope you get something out of it. But I want to personally fix people. Maybe we'll have a little levity. Guy goes into the bank to cash a check. Banker says, if you'll just sign the check, I'll be glad to give you the money. He said, I'm not signing my name to anything. Sir, if, you, if you're not going to endorse the check, we can't cash it. You don't even have an account here. He said, well, I don't sign my name to anything. I said, well, we're sorry. 
you, you can't, we're not going to cash your check. He said, we'll be that way. So he went across the street to another bank. He went inside and he said, I'd like to cash this check. And the gentleman said, if you just endorse this check right here, then we'll be glad to cash it for you. And he said, sir, I don't sign my name to anything. So the banker, the bank teller grabbed the guy by the hair of the head, slammed his face down on a marble counter a few times, and he was bleeding, you know, everything. And so then he went back across the street and he said, I got, I got my check cashed. He said, they cashed your check. And he said, yes, they did. They said, well, how come you wouldn't, how come you didn't do, hear what we asked you and how come they did? He said, they took time to explain things (laughs) to me. I'd like to explain things to some people. But when I see the destiny of the wicked, none of that includes me. God's business. It's God's business. I'm not saying we should enjoy that or allow, and there are ways through our system. There's Romans 13 that deals with, with lawbreakers. There's ways within our, with our society that we deal with people who are lawbreakers and lawless. That's for another, that's another situation. I'm saying we had nothing to do with it. And here's something else. We cannot revel or rejoice in their destruction. Don Basham used to call that damaged joy. We cannot have joy from their damage. I know you, every time y'all read something that somebody like Nancy Pelosi says and she gets caught within a hair salon when she shouldn't have been caught in the hair salon, everybody goes, cha-ching, man, good for her. <laughs> I know, but I did it. <laughs> but God... We can't do that. We can't rejoice in that. Man, I wish God was different. I wish he'd change this thing. Come on, change it, God. Give me another version. You know why that is? It has nothing to do with them. It's got something to do with our own heart. If you go there, you're going to be drinking bitter water. Okay. What is our response? What's our response to God? Well, Verse 1, as I said, maybe the very theme to the psalm. He said, fret not yourselves. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. And don't be envious of wrongdoers. Don't fret. I know we look around and we think, boy, you know, this thing's going downhill fast. This thing's getting out of control. And as I wrote, I don't remember if I wrote it in the Kernels of Truth or I wrote it in the Chronicle this week, but sometimes I've heard people say, man, they throw up their hands, just give the world to the devil and Jesus, come get us out of here. I've heard that all my life, people, man. It's just a wicked world. Let God just you know, punish it. But I remind people that you can't do that. You can't say let the, let the wicked have the world because the world belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me to give it to anybody. Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's never changed. Oh, Lord, help me. So we can't fret when we see all this happening. We, we should pray, and we should do what we can do, but we can't, we can't fret and certainly not be envious, and people are. But he says, here's what we do, verse 3, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And then he says, do good. 
do good. We used to sing an old song. I think Big Daddy Weave actually has an arrangement of it. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Can I tell you that you cannot trust God without obeying God? And can I tell you that if you obey God, it's because you trust him? I'm going to give you a little verse here. You want to take notes? John 3, the last verse in John 3. Uh, the, all the translations take do a play here. Whoever, everybody, whoever believes, everybody say believes. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son, trusts in the Son, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Now, I want to tell you that in the original text, that's the same word. But the translators, because they knew the truth, in the first case, they translated it believe, and in the second case, they translated it does not obey. Same word. And it's because if you trust God, you will obey God. If you don't obey God, it means you don't trust God. Are y'all getting that? I know this is complicated. Trust him and obey him. He said, trust in the Lord and do good. And then he says this, delight yourself. Delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? It means to, to be delighted with him. It means to be so ensnared by him, so encaptured by God, that there's delight in your heart when you're fellowshipping with the Lord God. And also, if you delight yourself in God, you will not be focusing on the evildoers. You won't spend all your time gnashing your teeth because of the evil going on. And then it says in verse 4, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You've heard me say many times that that's not, that's not a blank check. God said, you know, I'll give you whatever you want. I know we liked it, and that was one of our... In my own opinion, that was one of the negatives of the charismatic movement is that we created a lot of lawless people who just thought God existed to give them what they wanted. But the truth is, if you delight yourself in God, your heart will match his heart. If you delight yourself in the Lord, what you want will be what he wants. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What is our response? Not focus on the evildoers, but delight ourselves in God. Worship Him. Fellowship with Him. Read His Word. Enjoy. I, I wish I could quote the catechism uh, about enjoying God. He Then he says, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him and He will act. Commit your way. That's an odd Hebrew word there. G-A-L-A-L. Uh, if you're interested, but it really means to roll over onto something. In other words, if we commit our way to God, we roll our concerns and our weightiness, we roll that over onto God and let him carry it. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you because it's light and it's easy. We commit, we de- we desire God, we delight in God, and then we commit, we roll our life and our way over onto Him because we trust Him to carry the load. 
commit your way to God and trust in him. Verse 5. And he will act. And here's the hard one. Verse 7. We be still and wait patiently. Can I tell you that you cannot? Everybody say cannot. You cannot wait patiently if you don't trust God. Because you got to try to fix it. You got to try to put your hand to it. You got to try to straighten people out. I, I got to try to straighten people out. I can't even straighten myself out. You have to do it. But he says, be still. We have a hard time being still. Because we want to get, we want to put our hand to everything. Be still and wait patiently. Verse 34 says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. Wait for the Lord. It's a great sign that we, we believe God. It's a great sign that we trust God, that we can wait for him instead of running ahead of him, trying to do it ourselves. Verse 8, he says, what was our response? I'll just read it again just because I think this is very important. Verse 8 says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Maybe I should have just preached that one verse the whole day. Resist anger and wrath. Now, every one of us in this room probably ought to be saying, not amen, but oh me. Because as we're, as we're watching a lot of the nonsense that's going on around us in our world today, we've been angry. You've been angry. I've been angry. He said, fret not, because it only leads to evil. It only corrupts us. And we must not think of gaining vengeance. We must not think of trying to gain vengeance because vengeance, not because vengeance isn't warranted, because often it is but because we aren't always redemptive. That's why Jesus, that's why God said, vengeance is mine. God's redemptive. We're not. We want to, our vengeance is, well, anyway, it's not nice. If we leave it to God, God will always get it right. If we try to take vengeance ourselves, we will almost never get it right. So we can't, we can't lash out. And he says, also, uh, our response is, he says, these are people who are generous givers. Now, I'm not just talking about money here. We're givers of our heart and givers of our attention. He said, generous giving, contentment frees us up to do good. And that's the key here. Not just that we're generous, but that we're content. We have to find a place of contentment in this hour, in this day, if we look around us and see the news and hear the news, we have to, and for those of you who get into arguments on Facebook, you need to find a place of contentment. As I understand it, if you post anything, you're automatically in one of those. <laughs> contentment frees us up to, go, to do good, to give generously. Without contentment, we become greedy. Without contentment, we become envious. 
You've got to find and I've got to find a place of contentment in God that will keep me from being angry and still make me generous. Timothy says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. Contentment. So if you bring nothing in, you take nothing out, where you're getting your contentment in him. You can't get it from your stuff. Everybody knows that. You can buy more stuff and you're still not. You might be content for a day or two. Man, I got these new pair of shoes. Woo-wee. And the next week, man, I need some new shoes. Why? Because your contentment can't come from your shoes or your car or your house. It only comes from him. And if we're not, if we're not content, we're fearful over one's poverty. We're fearful because of, and we have a spirit of poverty. We're not content. We're not satisfied with what we have. Again, that's not always just money. But we're not content. A person with the spirit of poverty is not content and not satisfied with what they have. They're always seeking more and more. Because they're not satisfied, because they're not content, these people with the spirit of poverty are always looking for more and more. May I say to you, that wealthy people can and do have a spirit of poverty. A spirit of poverty has nothing to do with your bank account, the size of it. It has to do with if I'm, if I've got a million dollars, I'm worried that I'm not going to get to two million. That's a spirit of poverty. Spirit of poverty is a lack of contentment in God and a lack of confidence in God, worried about where the next nickel is coming from. If you trust God, I would ask you to trust God. Finally, the faithfulness of God. Trust God and feed on his faithfulness in the face of an evil agenda. Not a new agenda. There may be some manifestations of that agenda today that we've never seen before. And, you know, we may be concerned that God doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, It saddens me when I think back to, when I think back, I can't think that far back. When I remember that when our first president, George Washington, was inaugurated as the president of the United States, the very first thing he did, Everybody say first. The very first thing our president did, and I remember that at that time our capital was in New York City. I bet you don't remember that either. I mean, none of us were there. He led a processional of all Congress that existed in that day. He led and walked down down the street, maybe two streets, I don't know, to a little chapel that still exists today near Ground Zero, near where the towers came down. I wish I could remember the name of the chapel, but some of y'all might. But he led a processional down that street and brought Congress into that church. All of them. And the first thing he did as a president was not to pass laws. The first thing he did as president was not to now proclaim what he was going to do and what he wasn't going to do. He didn't exercise his authority as a king. And let me get just a little bit political, that in America, we have made the presidency a kingship. 
Okay. That would even, let's go back. They went inside the church and the very first thing they did as a, as a Congress and he did as the president of the United States was he led Congress in a prayer meeting. They prayed. As the old commercial used to say, we come a long way, baby. And not in the right direction. In the face of, of an evil agenda, I got to believe God knows what he's doing. I got to believe God is faithful. I got to believe God is righteous. If I don't believe that, I'm going to quit doing what I'm doing right now. It says in verse 23 that the steps of, of a man or a good man are established or ordered by the Lord when we delight in him. Regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of what's concerning you, regardless of what we're facing today, your steps are established by God when we delight in him. Well, why doesn't he establish our steps when we don't delight in him? Because we take off in the wrong direction. It says in verse 24, it says, Steps of a man are established when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. In other words, just because you fall don't mean you got to stay there. The righteous man falls down seven times, gets back up every time. The issue is not whether or not you fall. The issue is whether or not you get back up. And he says, if you're delighting in his way, you will, you might trip, you might stumble, you might fall, but you're going to get back up in God's grace by the power of his Holy Spirit. Because he gives us upholding support. And verse 25 says, turn too quick. He said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've seen the righteous forsaken. I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. There is a provision and a sustenance for you, for me, and for God's people. David said, I've seen it all. But one thing I haven't seen is God abandon his people of provision. And sustenance. And then he repeats. Well, he says in verse 11 what I read earlier, and that is that the meek shall inherit the land. <clears throat> of course, when Jesus uh, quotes that in Matthew 5, he says the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek. I'm going to spend a lot of time here, but meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under discipline. Meekness is our pro- Presenting our strength to God and submitting it to Him. That's the meek. The faithfulness of God says that the meek shall survive. The meek will inherit the earth. <clears throat> Those who have given themselves to God in a submissive way. And then David finishes up this psalm with these. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble The Lord helps them and delivers them, and he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Stronghold, deliverer, and refuge. Where are we putting our trust? Where are we looking for something or someone to be our stronghold? Where are we looking for someone to be our deliverer? Where are we looking for refuge? If you're looking for it in the world, you're going to be greatly disappointed. 
Truth is, if you're looking for it in people, period, you're going to be greatly disappointed. But he says, the Lord helps them. The Lord delivers them. The Lord is our stronghold. So in these times, fret not because of the evildoers. Fret not, but trust in God. Trust in God and believe that he's bigger than the problems we face today. He's bigger than the problems you're facing today. Put your, put your total trust in him and believe that he will act on your behalf. Doesn't always mean he'll do what you want him to do, but he will act on your behalf, remembering that agape is what we do for the other person for their good. Can you say amen? amen. And it's-